Welcome to my den. Y'all have been telling me you have loved the Think Tank episodes where we've asked an interesting question to see how our guest might implement or respond to this particular scenario. And today is no exception. I brought on the amazing Karen Brieger, who is the Senior Vice President of People for an amazing brand called therapy brand. So she's the SVP of people operations and has just incredible experience at so many different companies as a chief people officer. So she's been at Thermo Fisher, Smith's Medical, Investors Bank and Trust, and a bunch of other amazing places. But Karen and I met because she's a part of the Chief Network, and these are just amazing executive women who are making impacts in their communities and the world and the organizations that they work at. So it was a no-brainer to have Karen on to this think tank session where we asked an interesting question. What would happen if native digital SWAT teams were deployed in organizations to solve vexing problems? Now you heard a bit of my sort of mindset coming into this. If you listen to the episode with Adam Levin and Stephen Keith, where we had a similar think tank discussion about an interesting problem. And uh, today is also fascinating. So pay special attention to Karen's perspective, which she tends to lean on the positive of what this might do for organizations, which I found just incredibly fascinating and a testament to her character how Karen would implement these native digital SWAT teams for good in her organization, but also pay special attention to Karen's outlook on everything from being hired recently into a C-level position as a person much later and, and more experienced in their career. She has some fascinating insights on leveraging AI tools to make the hiring process smoother. And it, this was just an overall really, really fun conversation. And I would encourage you if you aren't following Karen on LinkedIn, she publishes very interesting articles periodically about everything to do with being an amazing chief people officer. So go follow her. It's Karen Brieger. Her last name is B-R-I-E-G-E-R. Go check her out and, and check out Chief because literally every amazing woman I've spoken with in the past few months somehow has a connection back to Chief. They've just created this incredible network of executive women. Before we dive in, I want to invite you as a longtime listener of my podcast to come say hi. So if we're not connected on LinkedIn, you can find me. Just look up Hannah Grady Williams. You'll see my skills picture immediately, but come say hi. I want to hear from you. I want to hear what's on your mind. I want to understand where you're coming from. We can talk about episodes you want to see. Like, don't be a stranger because this is everything about this podcast, about connecting people, about bringing together the native digital and native analog perspectives. And so don't treat this just like a, a episode that you listen to or just audio that you listen to on your way to work or you're on vacation. Like, come say hi. I, I'm a real person and I'm, I'm here for you. So uh, yeah, don't be a stranger. All right, let's jump straight in. So buckle up your seats or your time machines if you're cool like that. And join me in my living room with the amazing Karen Brieger. You're listening to Native Digital, Native Analog, the show where we unpack the collisions and commonalities between my generation and yours. I believe that if you don't have a Native Digital on your board of directors, your leadership team, or at least one you pay to pester you like a fly in your ear, your business won't survive. Let's change that today. Yeah, but I am so pumped to to have this conversation. It's been so long, and uh, please, up like seriously, update me, Karen. Like, what what has happened since we last talked? Yeah, it's been a while and exciting. So when we last chat, I was um, in transition. I had lost my job in October, like so many other people have, um, and was fortunate to connect with a really you know. 
work on expanding my network, which is, I think, part of how you and I connected. Um, but I just very recently started a new position. So I'm the SVP of people operations for Therapy Brands, which is a software company. Um, and I've worked in software before in the payment space. This time it's been really great because um, Therapy Brands' mission is to expand quality therapy and mental health support. So really giving therapists tools to take that administrative burden off of them, allowing them to spend more time working with patients. So it's just a space that's touched me personally. It's touched so many other people personally. And so it's great to not only be back in software, but doing software work that is so meaningful, especially where we are today coming out of the pandemic and the rise in, in mental health concerns. So it's been exciting. This is the end of my third week. It's only third week and I'm drinking from the fire hose and learning so much, making great connections with some really amazing people. And um, so it's been exciting. I I can imagine. Well, and thank you for being here because, wow, first three weeks are a fire hose. Yeah, absolutely. It's so interesting that you went to to Therapy Brands because I've noticed this uh, trend. Maybe it's just the sphere that I'm in, but all the women I know through Chief, it seems like have come from some organization where they were, you know, they built a great career, they had a great network, they joined Chief and suddenly I find them all working for something to do with mental health, you know, therapy, people, you know, it's like it's like COVID completely shifted the the women I know at least in Chief, their entire perspective about like what they should be working for. Yeah. Like what what was your experience with that? No, absolutely. And I think um, Chief is an amazing network of, of, of women. And it's been, it's great to have that professional connection, but yet there's also that personal support and everybody is trying to fix each other's crowns. And I think part of that connection and even some of the support through other members that focus specifically on career transitions is, you know, and what is Simon Sinek, find your why, right? Um, And we've all come out of this pandemic and so much with even just chief human resources officers, like we're exhausted, (laughs) Um, exhausted. And so if you're gonna stay in this corporate world, why? What are we doing? And and for me, it was really, I took some time to think about the why. And look, I'm a, I'm the primary breadwinner in my family. I have to work. I, I have to have the benefits for the family. I've got two kids in college. I've got to pay college tuitions, right? So it wasn't an option not to work. Um, and I wanted to do it with people that I like and people that were working towards the same vision. And yeah, I didn't want to just help make the rich richer anymore. Um, I wanted to do something meaningful and something meaningful for me and, you know, mental health. And part of, you know, we also work with physical therapists and occupational therapists. My daughter's starting to be a physical therapist, right? So it was just, it was a lot more of a personal connection. And I think the connection back to Chief helped us to think through that and to to know that it was okay to make sure there was something in it for us and something meaningful for us and in determining what that next step was gonna be and um it's great so i'm i'm really happy it it helps me get out of bed every morning knowing that what i'm doing there's purpose behind it that's so good well and i think the first time we talked you had just gotten off a session with carla harris who is one of my favorites phenomenal phenomenal and she i heard her speak a couple years ago and it i don't know what she talked about when you heard her but there's this one example that just stood out to me it was she was giving this illustration of being a woman on wall street in the boardroom and she for the first time was like I'm bringing my full self. I'm not going to pretend that I'm yeah. you know, X, Y, Z. And she's like, you know, I've got a show at Carnegie Hall next week. Any of you guys want to come join me? And, you know, every all the bankers there. Oh, my gosh. You know, this this woman's talking about music, whatever. And then as soon as she started talking more about it, she realized that that's what people remembered her for. Yeah. You know, she was the the woman on Wall Street, the the banker, very successful, but she's also the one performing at Carnegie Hall and I like that connected deeply to to my why of like 
bringing my authentic self, helping unlock people's potential by being my authentic self, that connected deeply to me. So I just have to ask you, like, what's your why? And did Carla Harris have anything to do with it? Well, she was, you know, it's always great to see a a woman and to hear the story of how they, they got to this incredibly powerful seat and um and she is just authentic right listening to her talk she's you're like I, I'm friends I'm friends with I know her right I don't know her I sat and I listened to her talk to a couple hundred other women but you just feel that connection and um yeah so for me and and even I think in a company like therapy brands that's part of our that's part of our recruitment right part of why what we act we ask candidates, why therapy brands? Why is this important to you? Because we want a team of people that have a connection to the space because we want it to be purpose-driven. Um, and so then you've got people around you and and not, you know, and, and not to say you want to create a team of all like-minded people because we, we don't, but we want people with the same purpose that are driving it, understand the impact that we have for therapists and then in a turn patients. So Carla was a, you know, I think Carla helped reinforce where I had already gotten myself to and to say, you can be successful while still being authentic and still making sure that authentic self is tied back to the purpose. And for me, especially in people operations and human resources, right, I'm, I'm role modeling that because I, I, I'm driving that with my peers throughout the rest of the organization. And if I'm not going to be authentic, then have I created a psychologically sp- safe space for others to be authentic? So I've always viewed it. It's got to start with me. It, it, at the top, right? It has to start with the CEO too. Um, but I have to be part of that and, and helping to drive that down through the organization. It was funny. I So I had my very first in-person meeting this week. And so there were about 50 people together, uh, most of whom I hadn't even met virtually yet. We were all together in for an in-person meeting. And I was doing an interview with alongside one of the um, one of the dire- one of the directors, and you know I cracked a joke with the kid. It's really silly, like ten year old joke. She she worked for Wex, and she was talking about using Webex, and I was like, ha ha, Webex with Wex. Um, and then we, she talked about some transition to Zoom, and I said, sorry, I don't have a joke for that one. And the woman who I one of my colleagues afterwards, she said. I'm so glad you're not a stuffy HR person. Like that was actually kind of a relief to hear you be silly in an interview. Um, and I said, well, that's just me. Like I can you know, I'm a dork. I can't hide that at, at, no matter what the circumstances are. I said, so this, this is it. Like, this is who you've got. And she was so happy and relieved. And now it was almost like her shoulders relaxed. Like I don't have to put on airs to be around the head of people ops, right? This scary title. Um, and so, yeah, you've got to be authentic regardless of the role. It, it's, it's key. So she didn't have the reaction that Michael has in the office when uh, when what's his face comes back to work. The oh god, please no. <laughs> well, I think that was the, the right, right. Initially, everybody was like, "Oh, people ops is here." Um, but yeah, and now and and I'm sure she's gone and told everybody else. You know, Karen cracked the most ridiculous jokes with the candidate. She's actually a real person. <laughs> It's all here. I can't hide it. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I love I love that so much and it it is refreshing. Like I so it, it this is interesting. I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. So my husband and I have over time worked for the same company but not at the same time. And we worked in very different departments and you know, in my department, I was in HR with some of the best people like I've ever met. I still, you know, years later go back, I I call them up whenever I need, you know, even to just talk about personal things whatever. They're just amazing. And you know, they're the VP of HR or talent and the C, you know, senior director of talent for a 3000 person organization. And they're very, just so down to earth, like so great. Then you fast forward over to the department that my husband has worked in and the culture, the subculture is entirely different. You know, Mm. it's, you don't talk to someone at a pay grade above you without your permission, you know, permission from your direct supervisor. You know, you don't, there's no cross pollination. If you're at a certain level, you don't have any ideas to share. Like, it's interesting to me how in the same organization you can have such incredibly supportive leadership in one area and in another area have 
this inauthenticity where everybody is just, it feels like, just trying to climb the ladder for their best gain and use fancy words to try to prove that they've got something and it worked for them. Unfortunately, it worked, um, but it's it's crazy. So I, just, I wonder I how, I, like, how I did know. it work? I don't understand. Like, how are you not losing people and how are well, you they attracting are. new people? Yeah, well, so it's not working, Hannah. It, yes. It's not, right? Um, the work may have been getting done, but was it getting done as well as it could have been? And I, I don't, you know, I, I, I would challenge that it, it wasn't working. And I would also challenge that no offense to, that the people aren't the, the people HR team. I might get myself in trouble here, but I would challenge that um, they're not out talking and, and spending time. You know, I call it walking, yeah. coming from manufacturing spaces, walking the floor. Are they out walking the floor? Are they connected? Are they are they aware that there's a, this entirely different subculture that's counter to the culture that they believe or that they're trying to foster? Um, yeah. Because I would I would say that if they truly were doing that and doing that effectively, um, that they that would be identified and steps would be taken to hopefully I choose to believe that hopefully to work to to address and, and improve so I've probably just gotten myself in a lot of trouble with people <laughs> no that's good that's it's so good um and it is true and you've got you know you've got a strategy by certain executives whose titles I won't mention, but you've got a strategy from, you know, certain ones where they've really made a career for themselves, but not Mm -hmm. their people. And Mm -hmm. it's very interesting just to see that play out in the subcultures. So, so I just would love your perspective on if you are, you know, you're in this CPO role, you're the chief people officer, and you've got, you know, these subcultures are brewing around the organization. What What's your action plan? Yeah. Well, and, and before, so and actually, and I think I can't, you and I might have actually talked about this before, you know, tied to this whole generational differences, right? That those people climbing that corporate ladder often come not to generalize everything, but I'm of a generation where if your boss told you to jump, you just jumped, right? Because that's that's what we did. Um, but I, I see this with others in the workplace in different generations. If I said jump, they're going to look at me and say, why? And I, at my first reaction is going to be, what do you mean, why? Just jump. Um, and so we have to all take a step back and say, no, we... It, it's okay for people to ask the why. It's okay to share the why because if we can't share the why, if we're not being transparent with the why, then how can we ever believe that we'll get people on board to follow and go in that direction? Um, so in terms of the action plans, you know, for me, it always starts with walking the floor, right? Really spending time building the relationships, knowing knowing my peers, knowing the levels below them and creating this environment where the people ops HR team are not the police officers. We're not the policy police. Um, we are we are there truly as business partners, right? So if that if if the people ops team is doing their job, working with their peers and colleagues in a business partnering relationship, then you've got the trust built, and now you can start to work. You you see it, you understand it. You're part of the you're part of the process from the beginning and can work to either change if a change is needed in that sort of culture or to build it from the beginning if you're lucky enough to come in early early enough on in an organization. Um, changing a culture is, is not easy and you have to have the support at the top to do it. So the leaders of these these subculture departments, right, if, if they're C-suite people and if the CEO isn't on board, it unfortunately, um, I've been in these situations where I, I, it's it's almost impossible to make the change unless you can get the buy-in, and understanding and recognition from from the top. Culture, though, culture needs to be built from the bottom up. I truly believe that. Um, you, you've got to work at, at the bottom levels and and have it built. Um, based on what the employees want with guidance and direction, right? It can't just be a free for all, but culture can't be dictated, right? The CEO can't come in and say, this is who we are and who we're going to be. 
um, that that doesn't work. And even at therapy brands, and I wasn't there for this, but they um, they went through a process to to change the mission and, and the value of the organization. It gets simpler. Um, and they had a team. They involved employees at all levels to be part of that interactive process to come to something very simple, right? We we expand access to, to quality therapy, right? It's very simple. It's very understanding. And it was employee built, um, not a dictated from the CEO down. That's really, really good. And there's so many golden nuggets in there. So let me get a little deeper. Sure. So you just went through the process of interviewing for a C-level position or at least an executive level position yeah. and had yeah. to interview, 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 all of this jazz. What, if anything, like changed about your approach coming, you know, post COVID and looking at brands that align with your why and, and all of that, what changed about how you got a pulse on the culture of the company you wanted to work for and how, and did you manage your interviews differently or your selection process? It was, it was hard because it was all remote. Um, well, I shouldn't say all, the majority of it was remote and they were, um, you know, it, it's a head. I'm, I'm just seeing a head and I'm having a conversation with a floating head. Um, and, and the last time I had interviewed and accepted a job, it was all very much in person. It was over hours of dinners, right? And it was, it was different. So there was a, a different approach and how do I maximize that time and really, really connect on a human level while being virtual um, and and changing some questions to, to really probe. And, you know, it was there was one of the um, one of the executive members of the executive leadership team I was interviewing with. And she's she's very she's all business and it's it's on point. And it was question after question. Here's my issues. How are you going to address it? Which was which is fine. But, you know, I I'm forming this vision of this person. And then all of a sudden this mug comes up, not mine, but it was um, it was a Mandalorian mug. It was this green and black Mandalorian mug. Baby Yoda's face is on it. And it was so counter to the, the image I had of this person. And I laughed and I actually said something to her and said, oh, my gosh, I love your mug. And then I think she was a little embarrassed. And, and I said, no, 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 it's, it's great because this is perfect. And so that was kind of the icebreaker. Um, so it was it's always important for me learning those ways on video to try and connect more personally, um, you know, in terms of understanding the culture, you know, the questions for me are always about what's the pulse. Now, this is an organization that does employee engagement surveys that that really solicits the feedback and has taken that feedback and, and has actioned it every single time they do it. So employees have become more willing to share the feedback because they've seen the responses. So I was able to ask a lot of questions around that and around the approach. Um, and, and I do feel now that I'm three weeks in, the answers that I got were honest answers. Um, and they were not sugar-coated either. It was, here's where we are, here's where we need to go, here's how we see you playing a part in that. Um, and I've come in and, and they, you know, it's been, uh, the worst thing you can do with a candidate is paint a rose-colored picture of everything and then have them come in and find it's something totally different. The best thing you can do is, is paint a realistic picture um, and make sure that they've got the grit to to want to do it right because the role I'm in right now it's not easy there's a lot of change that's required in the organization we're doing a lot of integration work that just is change and change we as we know isn't comfortable for people um, <clears throat> so yeah I, I I had to dig in to to ask the right questions around people um, and ask the questions too you know I was talking to members of the the executive leadership team formulating questions to understand do they really have the pulse are they in the ivory tower and you know giving me their view of the world when everybody else below so i, ha I did have an opportunity they asked if i was okay with it to talk to people who would become my direct reports and i said of course ab absolutely because that was another way for me to triangulate to, you know, are they, you know, if, if what I've already heard, is that in alignment with what somebody lower in the organization is saying? It was an opportunity to understand 
is the people ops team walking the floor? Do they yeah. have that pulse? And so, yeah, it was, but it was, um, it was definitely challenging interviewing in a almost completely remote world for me at least because yeah I've been working remote um but this was the first time to really fully interview remote yeah well no kidding I mean it's so I'm just imagining you know I as a startup founder thankfully have found business partners etc through other methods and referrals and whatnot but if I was going in cold to a relationship that was going to be like <laughs> almost the equivalent of marriage in, you yeah. know, in some extent. Like, and when you're taking an executive role, I imagine it's much the same. Like you're committing, you're committing yourself to love these people. Like you're, you're in this role, you're in it for the, not necessarily the long haul, but the committed haul, what, you know, the 150% everyday haul. And uh, I can imagine that's very interesting to navigate regardless of remote, not remote, but um, were there any like specific or interesting questions you found were really helpful to probe what you needed to hear from from the, the co- companies you were interviewing at? Yeah, and I'm trying to remember. So one of my fellow chiefs was very prior to prior to my interviews with this company, or it's maybe midway through. She did a session on um, high value questions, more from a sales standpoint. But it's it translates right, you know, a high a high value question is a high value question whether you're asking a prospect um, to try and, and make a sale or whether you're interviewing on either side of the interview table, right? So I, you know, really gave thought and I, off the top of my head, I'm trying to remember some of them, but making sure that they were questions that got more deeper responses um, from a, a people standpoint. Most of, you know, I, for me in a HR role, I'm asking questions. I want to understand the business health, um, you know, make sure that there aren't going to be layoffs in six months, um, but also really around the culture. Is it a bottom up culture? Is it a top down culture? Am I philosophically aligned with the CEO, um, you know, I've been in organizations where I wasn't, and that's a really tough place to be. You can't change a culture if you're not in alignment with the CEO. Um, and so I spent a lot of time digging in to understand. I also, um, I worked my network and I worked to a CHRO who previously worked with this CEO. Um, and so, you know, I was able to learn a lot from that, you know, kind of outside the actual interview process, you know, I, I went to her and said, tell me, tell me what it's like. Tell me, tell me what he values. Tell me how he operates. Um, and then I was also able to then go back to other members of the ELT and, and validate, is this how this, you know, this ask the questions around, is, is he operating in this manner here? Um, so, Although I, I can't remember specific questions I had asked off the top of my head, but they they were aimed at making sure that I got them to tell me as much as possible. I got them talking, um, and and made sure they weren't the the closed questions, but true open questions that were high value that were going to get me to that cultural piece. Um, and so far, like I said, <clears throat> I'm three weeks in, but there haven't really been any surprises. <laughs> hey, well, that's what you, that's what you want to have, right? No surprises. And also, if I am synthesizing what you just said correctly, and um, it's almost like you're, it sounds like to me, your process was hearing something from them, fact-checking it with another person who had a relationship. Yeah. like really doing the due diligence on the back end. I mean, I can remember a specific role that I took a couple of years ago, which looking back, I never should have taken this role with all the red flags that came up. But at the same time, I'm grateful that I had this experience mm-hmm. and it's why I'm here today um, and where, you know, where I'm at and on my own. And anyway, uh, needless to say, going back you know, I thought I did my due diligence of fact checking against, you know, calling someone or connecting with someone on LinkedIn who had previously worked at the company, understanding why she left so quickly, you know, what, you know, uncovering sort of things. And her response, I don't know if it was out of fear or whatnot, but just, you know, oh, they're great people, but they're still trying to get some systems worked out was sort of the response. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, here I am thinking, well, if they're hiring me, which this had been the communication, to come in and help them transform those systems, then, you know, things should be fine and dandy. Um, that was clearly not the case when I started actually working there. That was not what they wanted. Um, but it just, as you were talking, brought that memory back for me of, you've got this element of you're asking great questions about the culture, but you also have to have an element of that outside perspective or the interview might go great and then you get in mm-hmm. and it's completely the opposite. Jekyll and Hyde. Like we talk about employees, but the same you know, same is right. true of cultures. Right. Well, and I had a similar experience too where I, there were red flags in a prior interview process that I dismissed and took the job and in hindsight realized I should never have dismissed those red flags. And I, I think, um, you know, part of that discovering my why is also recognizing that and how do I learn from it to prevent it from happening in the future, right? I dismissed, I dismissed the red flags the last time and this time there weren't many red, there was only a handful and I really evaluated those red flags against everything else because I did not want to get myself back into a situation where two years from now I'm like, did it again, (laughs) right? So I, I understood, I understood my lessons from the last time and then was also able to formulate questions around that too, right? So in follow-up, you know, you know, there was the red flag that I could then come back to later and and probe more and dig in deeper. And, and yes, systems may need to be created, but then the next questions are around, is there a commitment? What is the commitment? Is there the financial support? All of these other things, because even though that's what may need to be done, if there isn't the commitment to do it, then as talented and skillful as we both are, we won't be successful in that role. So good. So good. Okay. Let's pivot gears into our think tank mode. I'm super excited about getting into this. So, okay, let me lay this premise because this is a, a new sort of thing we haven't really talked about on, on the show at all. So, You've got two kids in college, right? Mm-hmm. To so remind me their ages. Yeah, my son is 21. He graduates with a degree in finance and uh, in this in December and my daughter's 18 and is just about to wrap up her freshman year. That's awesome. Okay, so you you know what it's like to raise native digitals and all of the interesting the the positives, the negatives, the mm-hmm. in-betweens, all that jazz, which is really really cool. So, here is a, a premise for us to just think through. Um, and we don't have to be organization specific, whatever. I just want to get your thoughts here. So let's imagine that at some point in the pretty near future, there is the opportunity to tap into the power of the native digital mindset and the, these tools that native digitals use to bring in Think of them like think of them like um, small SWAT teams of native digitals who can come in to offer a brand new perspective on vexing problems that an organization might have, and those humans are powered by GPT. They're powered by AI tools that they've learned to prompt really well. Um, and just as a side note, before I finish laying out this scenario. I don't know about um, you, Karen, have you played much in GPT at all? A little bit, a little okay. bit. Um, and um, more from a job search perspective in terms of how to best utilize it, um, whether it's cover letters or, or search abilities. Um, I have yet to use it in my role. Um, and I admit to still being a little vexed by it at times. Um, odd and uh, still just trying to figure out the best way to utilize it to help support in my role in the people upside of things. Sure. Okay. That I would have said the same thing about a month and a half ago. Okay. So let me just give you a little bit of a lay of the land and this will be brand new to, I think most people listening to this, I have recognized in the very recent <laughs> past that 
I am probably just in number of users in the probably 99.9th percentile of users right now because I chat with GPT probably seven hours a day or more. So here's what I've discovered. And I, I'm really curious to go down this route with AI powered humans plus GPT because this is mind boggling. Okay, so I have never written a line of code in my life. Like I, that was not where my education was spent. I probably, if you asked me, like press me for it, I might be able to do a little HTML. That is it. Mm -hmm. Okay, two days ago, I sat down with GPT-4 specifically, and I gave it the prompt of, I would like your help creating a auto-generating mocktail recipe desktop app based on user preferences, such as the occasion, the type of flavor I'm going for, any local fruit that's in season, and there may have been one other, like the type of glass you want it served in. And I said, what information do you need to know? And here it comes and spits out, you know, four, five, six questions asking what I want from this app. I answered those questions and it starts writing Python code, like literally <laughs> writes the whole app for me. So here's what happened. I had a fully functioning desktop app. Now it wasn't pretty, you know, user interface, whatever it was, it was like you're in the early 2000s is how it felt. The actual functionality in 30 minutes, I had a functioning desktop app that based on four user inputs could generate mocktail recipes at the click of a button with zero coding experience. Okay, so this particular tool that I just created in Python was roughly, I don't know, maybe a couple hundred lines of code that the system generated. Yeah. And granted, I had to do, you know, I had to do some troubleshooting. I had to know basic things like how to download Python in the first place on my laptop, how to use command prompts. But the gist is you take someone like me with zero coding experience and a little bit of grit and I can now do what most college sophomores were doing with coding just a few years ago. Like that's how quickly this tech has progressed, right? So now you take this, and I, I probably talk to a dozen or more CEOs a week, and a couple of them I've sp spoken with recently are doing crazy things like, one um, is the CEO of Clary, which is a, a revenue software company. And they, they're talking about this very openly now, but they just essentially invented RevGPT, which is GPT for revenue, right? And they're scraping, they're essentially um, building this tool that uses the API integration from ChatGPT to pull client insights from their data and use it to upsell clients or to generate new leads. Like it is crazy, like mind boggling what they're doing with this. So to come back to our premise, that's just a, like a bare tip of the iceberg glimpse into what GPT is doing right now with one human input. Um, so let's come back to our scenario and, and I just want to lay this question very openly and then we'll d delve into a few more like nitty gritty pieces. But what do you think might be some of the, um, interesting things? Let's look at the positive side first. If you had these teams of, let's say 15 to 20 year olds who understand this technology in and out through and through they're chatting with it, you know, hours and hours a day, they're building apps and websites and Google Chrome extensions and all of this inside of GPT. Imagine you take a team of those, start plopping them onto vexing problems in your organization. What does, what does that look like? Well, it could be really powerful, right? Um, doing it at a speed and a cost a speed much faster than a traditional team's going to be able to do and at a cost much lower than the traditional team's going to be able to do because it's taking them hours and days and weeks to do it and i you know and i'm thinking of this from the perspective of software right i'm in, i'm back in a software company um, and one of the things that we're working on right now is into integrating integrating 
brands and products that we have um, because the company grew over acquisition. And I just talked to our CTO this morning about some of the challenges that we're having there. And even with Agile, and this person believes it should be this way, and this person believes it's that way. Um, and so we're spending time and energy just trying to figure out how we're going to align on Agile rather than having this team that comes in and goes, well, here's the issue that the integration work that needs to be done, boom, go go do, right? So I, you know, just from that standpoint alone, um, it could be, you know, it, it could be revolutionary. The challenge is shifting the mindset, right? Um, because that's instantly where my head went when we first started talking about this, like, wow, that's pretty, that's really cool. But how do I get people to even identify what those what those problems are that the team could work to solve right and then back to what we were talking about earlier with that um the team that you had mentioned there's that fear factor of well if they can if this team of young people with you know limited experience you know they, they didn't go through you know they don't have an advanced degree and you know they just spend hours on with chat GPT, how do we, um, you know, are they going to take my job? How, you know, yeah. do I become irrelevant if they can do it in the blink of an eye? Um, something that would have taken me and a team weeks, am I now irrelevant? And so am I going to sabotage, mm -hmm. you know, and not be able to come up with those ideas? Cause it, it I think that the power of it, is what scares people. 100%. Yes. Um, and I don't know if you're hearing this in, in your sphere, but I hear it with pretty much anyone that I talk to about GPT. And I will, I will wholeheartedly say my soul has been sold to the GPT <laughs> devil or what. I don't know what to even call it, but I am, I've become this GPT evangelist and I'm finding myself um, singing its praises. In fact, I was randomly in a coffee shop talking with the 18 year old working at the counter. She was also homeschooled. My, you know, I was homeschooled. We got, you know, hit off while she's making my coffee. We started talking and this older gentleman walks in, turns out he's the uh, managing partner of a large construction firm. And he just starts asking, wait, what are you guys talking about? Blah, blah, blah. Well, I start going off on, you know, let me just show you the most basic like preschool version of how GPT can write your cl next client emails for you and your project proposals. And he, like we sit down at a table and I'm just showing him and he emails me later that night and he's going, I was so skeptical, but you in like 10 minutes convinced right. my business to take this on. Like I just found myself in this place where it's interesting, The depending on who I'm talking to, the reaction is either oh my God, this is changing like everything or please make it stop. It's like, there's no in between. Right. That's, you know, I, have you found that with the conversations that are happening? Like, is it one or the other? And, and it feels like there's like no middle ground. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, I think there is a little, I think there's a little bit of a middle ground, but that's the people and maybe that's, maybe I'm part of that middle ground where I just don't know. I don't understand it enough. I don't understand. Not that, not that I don't want to, I just, I just, I haven't gotten there yet. And so, but yes, there's either the people that are, you know, the robots are going to take over the world and that we're, we're now we're all irrelevant or there's the people that are, are jumping in and going, wow, this is great. Okay. Well, if I can write this client proposal in half the time using GPT, like, oh my gosh, now look at all these other things that I can do. And, and I think having the evangelists like yourself to help get people there and, and not in a fearful way, like here's how this, how this is this amazing tool, how it can help you. Wow. Think about all the other things, the power, how the power and where you can now spend your time. Are you creating a new business? Are you somehow um, working on some mission purpose driven you know, whatever that could change the world in a different way. Right. I think we lose sight of that what happens, what do, what do we do with all the time we get back now because of the power of this tool, right? Um, Absolutely. And with any change, with any change, it starts with getting the believers on board and then using the believers, right, to, to, to 
send the message out it's too hard to focus on those people that are like no way the robots are taking over the world right because if they're either going to come along with us or they're they're not but the only way to really make the change is to focus on the the believers and the evangelists and those that have the enthusiasm and excitement for it um but yeah it's definitely i feel like it is a little bit of an all or nothing or the people who just don't understand it <laughs> yeah oh fair fair so it's like three camps yeah. at the moment um so i want to latch onto something you said and pull us back to this sort of swat team think tank analysis here so let's imagine a future where let's say that these SWAT teams, for example, are not coming into an organization in the traditional sense. Let's say instead of them coming in as a group of interns to solve a problem, let's say you almost like outsource a problem to mm. a think tank where maybe your, your own team at your company is also working on the problem, but you outsource it to get creative out of the box ideas. Maybe, um, are there any like challenges just as an example we could think about that are top of mind for you? Um, it doesn't have to be from, of course, therapy brands, but just something that's that we could take as an example that you could see a team of like young people's yeah. minds on being really helpful. Like, well, maybe the, I, I think this is relevant. So I'm, we implemented Workday a few months back. I wasn't there part of the implementation. I, I haven't used Workday before. And so this is all a big learning for me. Workday and, and other softwares, they're complex and you need consultants, a third party consultant to really help with the implementation. And then also, um, you know, we're outsourcing things right now to reconfigure or create new workflows or implement a new module or, or whatever it is. And it, you know, it, it's a little, I, I get frustrated with the model, right? That I got to spend more money on consultants. And if I had, if I, if I had this group, you know, I'm, I'm going to outside consultants anyway. Right. Um, so from a mindset perspective, I'm already there, but if I could use this group, that has the power of this AI tool to help solve the problem or do the work for me in half the time, a quarter of the time, what in maybe a more creative, productive way. Um, it's going to cost me less. It's going to get me a better outcome. So why would, you know, why wouldn't I? And I think from a mindset perspective, that's an easy shift for people to make. Um, that could be one really powerful way to use that sort of team. Um, you know, I think even uh, from an integration standpoint, you've got two platforms trying to integrate them. That may be another way. Hey, well, if we could just outsource this to this team that could do it really quickly. We could go live quicker with our customers that drives more revenue with our customers. You know, it's better UI UX for them, right? Um, you could justify something like that. I could see that sort of outsourced mindset around it being easier to, for folks to adopt and think about how it could be done as opposed to how do I come up with this kind of mini internship sort of thing with a team instead of an individual because it's so different but that that yeah. kind of outsource is people are used to that sort of model today so let this is good let's go let's go deeper so let's so when you're talking about the workday integration for example it's been a hot minute since i had to go through a software integration this big and workday is completely different so walk me through um what might what what are some of the key areas of like integration points rollout points etc that you'd be looking to deploy consultants on so something we're working on today is um, getting the LMS up, the learning management system up and running. The in-house team doesn't have the knowledge and experience to do it. Uh, and so we're working with outside support to get it set up, get it structured the way we want it, to create the groups, um, have the workflows to automate you know, I don't want people manually entering all of this stuff to make sure that you only have access to the courses you need access to. Um, you know, really ensuring there's 
maximum use of the automation the system can provide that's where we're using an outside consultant to help set that up and 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 um, structure it in a way that that we want it right now it's cost it costs a lot of money it's and it takes time yeah fascinating well and i've been through an lms integration before and oh my gosh that team is you live and breathe the LMS for months on end. Like it is, yeah. and this was this was a couple of years ago. I went through this, so it may be a little different now. But um, I'm assuming, are you working with the consultants who are outsourced by the LMS platform, or are these completely different entities? So it's a third party. It's a third party that um, you know. There's Workday or other platforms have this too, where they kind of have their short list of their their third party consultants that know the system in and out and and can do that. And so that's who we're working with. And I think about the time that it's taking our team in house to work and support, right? And if it could just be, if that time even so, if that time was lessened for my team, right, to to support and drive. Um, you know, now think of all the things they're doing. Think of the the people in-house that they're helping to support where now they can't do that because they're focused on, their time is focused on, on the testing and the, uh, um, you know, and, and the community, you know, this is the structure and this is how it should go. And, you know, consultant, um, you know, the consultant, what's their, what's their motivation for moving it, Speed. moving it along, right? Um, and if again, like if it could be done in half the time using AI tools, I mean, oh my gosh, that would be incredible. So let's break this down a little more. So when you're talking about timeline, what's what do you what's your current trajectory you think with the LMS, for example? Um, probably not a fair question to ask of me because I'm so new into this. Um, Three weeks in, you've got all the details. Yeah, so I'm not really sure. I actually, I've got a meeting after this to understand where we're at and what, um, where, where we're at in the process and what needs to be done and making sure we're thinking of it from a strategic standpoint, a scalable standpoint. I, I, you know, I think there's times when it's a little too um, siloed. And so I don't, I don't know yet. Um, um, I suspect I, I suspect they've been working on this for a few weeks now with probably a couple more weeks to go. That would be fast. It, just thinking about if it ends up being like six to eight weeks compared to the one I went through, this was granted four years ago, but I could have sworn, oh my gosh, probably eight months in and not everything was still working properly. Yeah, well, and I think... You know, and, and kind of as I think through it, you know, as we're talking, looking to have it down and dirty to start with, right? Just to roll something yeah. out down and dirty. But what if I didn't have, what if I could do it in that same amount of time and not have it down and dirty, right? What if in that same period of time, I actually had something more robust, more scalable, um, more of the kind of finished product in the same amount of time that I could get to this just down and dirty, get something for people to start working in, right? I mean, that alone, I think is is a win. That's huge. Okay, this is really, really helpful. And I, as we're, you know, testing out these SWAT teams in, in, you know, my organization and working with these incredibly intelligent students who've got, you know, grit and problem solving and all of that. um, One of the things we've considered is partnering with organizations to essentially test this proposition, you know, like could a team of kids do this in half the time with the AI tools, with the scalability, with the blah, blah, blah. So we'll see how that plays out. But it's helpful to hear you say like, oh my gosh, we're already working with outside consultants. You know, what would happen if it was half the the cost and half the time? Exactly. And I think that that's less of a change for people than this kind of how do they come in and or an individual or a team come in and, 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 you know, that more traditional internship. I, I think of it from a consulting model, which I already do in all aspects of the business for different reasons. Yeah. So again, if there was a cost savings, time savings and, and more creativity even um, out of the box thinking, which is just an overused term. But if there was that kind of different perspective, different thinking on it, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah, 
Okay, so good, so good. Um, so now let's look at this from the other angle. So if you have native digitals who are deployed on, whether it's integrations or even, you know, uh, just a thought off the top of my head, what if there's a new product line or a new software line and you're like, oh my gosh, what if we had, you know, a team of a, a couple different teams of native digitals who could take the first stab at developing this app or this software or whatever, like what might be some of the challenges that could arise from that? And not just maybe the adoption challenges, but things that organizations should be thinking through of if you do in the future, if this is the way to do business of sort of outsourcing to the best team of players, this, um, these problems or these, you know, opportunities, what could be some of the, the challenges or things that we need to be thinking about from a even structural standpoint in our organizations to shift? I, you know, I, and I, I don't know how real these are, um, but how much industry knowledge is depending on the problem, right? How, how much industry knowledge is needed to, to help guide what the solution is. Is it truly something that can be done with an outside perspective and, and little to no knowledge of the industry or the product? Um, that could be a challenge depending on what the problem is, right? Like with with that Workday LMS example, no, I, you don't need that, right? You really don't. You got to understand kind of what we're looking for. But if it's a product um, aimed in healthcare, you, do you have to understand how people work or, or, or what's needed or compliance issues, right? PHI, private health information, um, and the different regulations around that is knowledge needed in that space. Um, that would be something that would come to mind. And again, don't know if it is or isn't, but something that people, it might be questioned. Um You know, and then there's the, I, I see this with, and this is as a parent, right? Um, the ability to question. My kids don't, aren't there yet, right? They're not always lifting up enough to ask the right questions. And so part of what I'm doing as parent is coaching them to, well, have you considered this and have you considered that? Oh, no, I didn't. Oh, oh, wait, we, you're right. I probably should. Right. So how much of that just mature and, and that's learned I, that that's to me that those are learned skills and how essential, you know, with this group, are they there yet? Have they learned those sorts of skills? And is that going to is that a challenge? in how they approach these problems because is there somebody helping to guide them as the as the interface between the company and the team um, or if it's really this team do they have those skills to ask the right questions to make sure they're getting to the right place from the start um, with the product that they can deliver a solution that they can deliver that's going to be on point the first time so good yes these are Lots of things to think through, even assuming something like this happens, you know, that we have a world like this. And it's interesting you bring those two perspectives up because I was chatting with GPT the other day. I just need to give my GPT a name. (laughs) 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 I'm going to go chat with Francisco or whatever. So um, I was asking GPT to help me envision a future where... AI tools seamlessly integrate software across every organization, across every division, every unit globally, right? And just help me envision if that truly becomes the case, which I'm a firm believer either, that's going to happen in the very, very, very near future, or we're going to return to the stone age because Mm -hmm. someone, the wrong person gets a hold of it, right? So just helping, I was asking it to help me envision this future of what happens when that exists. And it gave me back this term. I had never heard of this. I've talked to a few people. They had never heard of this. Have you ever heard of a swarm organization? No, it sounds scary. 
<laughs> Maybe <laughs> I watched a lot of B-rated horror movies early on in my high school years. That sounds like something right out of one of those movies. <laughs> Probably so. Probably so, but I it, maybe GPT just made this up to describe its mental model for yeah. what it came up with. But it was basically sharing with me like we could end up in a world where the AI seamlessly delegates responsibilities or tasks to its AI and human counterparts based on the organizational needs. So if you think about the structure of that organization and of the potential future, if you've got this hive, like this swarm of AIs working together to accomplish various, various goals, well, in my mind, that sort of eliminates most positions beyond senior leadership that's guiding the AI and the very bottom, which is doing the human things that there aren't currently physical infrastructure to do, right? Like you got the the supply chain just envisioning it where the AI is seamlessly negotiating with the with the governments or the, you know, the the ships, the merchants, all of that that's happening in the supply chain, but then it gets to port and there's no robots to carry the actual right, item right, from right. truck to ship. Um, so like that sort of organization is very intriguing and like interesting to me because it does free up so many humans to do meaningful work if they're, you know, AI is saving all this time. It also creates this just massive sort of um, hierarchical, hierarchical structure where the AI replaces all the middle section. And um, anyway, I just, I thought that was interesting um, that it brought up swarm. I'm curious to see what other sort of terms it creates for what these organizational constructs of the future look like, because who knows how many different directions this could go. Yeah, and I as I think, but you said hive too, and I think hive for, to me visual like hive makes more sense than swarm, because to me swarm like we're all going we're you know we're all you know I think of little kids playing soccer that's a swarm they're all you know every kid on the field is at the ball that that doesn't sound good to me a hive we need to tell him to give it a rebranding yeah like a hot but a hive even just to me makes more sense right it because um you know there's the queen and all the work you know the workers and kind of how it's connected with the comb and the honeycomb yeah anyway <laughs> i'll tell francisco to tell, yeah tell francisco i don't like swarm tell him it needs a rebrand but i i get it <laughs> Oh my gosh. I just, I'm asking more people if they ever heard that term because I, mm -hmm. for all I know, it, it came up with it. Like it yeah. came up with a way to describe That's its own version of organizational structure in the future. Anyway, um, we've gotten done a lot of rabbit trails. Thank you for engaging in this Thank you. think tank setting with me. Is there anything else you want to touch on? I'm still thinking about the swarm and how that, <laughs> that works and the possibilities with that one. <laughs> I mean, you never know. You might be, you know, in the future have a CEO who's the head of a billion dollar corporation with a bunch of AIs that are all the employees. And then it's able to give and like create opportunity. I don't know. But how do you advance? How do you then how do we how do we train see is the AI doing that? Right. Like if you take the middle that. So I'm just that's it's fascinating. It's just fascinating to think how that would even how that could work and I think again it's just set in kind of old thinking to to stretch to get to this idea of the swarm it's it's fascinating <laughs> I have no idea Karen I don't I mean who knows if it's good bad indifferent how it would work if you know considering the way that some industries lag behind so much too i'm almost seeing like there's going to be this well i've been talking about this for over a year now of this incredible divide between the the companies who adopt native digital mm -hmm. humans and tools and the ones who stay behind right. and i mean i just see that the divide is already there like the gap is very clear but it's just going to grow and grow and grow and grow yeah. and it that kind of uh, excites me in some cases and scares me in others yeah. you know it's like well we see it socially too right and I, I know this is a whole other topic but it's I, I think it's about power the the companies that haven't adopted it's because there's this fear of giving up the power 
and the money that goes with the power and all of it, right? It, it, I think I I believe that's where that stems from, and I think we see it in in other aspects of our lives from a social standpoint. And again, totally different topic for another day. Well, let's do it again. <laughs> Let's do let's do another one in the future. That'd be great. So, I'd love it. Thank you so much for for jumping on here. I I think we could talk about lots of different topics for for a long time, but I can't. Hopefully, we'll get to catch up in a few months yeah. and see where you are in your journey. And oh my gosh, this is so cool. Yeah, thank you so much. This was a ton of fun. I enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for listening to the Native Digital Native Analog Show. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you would subscribe, leave a rating and review, and tell your friends. If you're looking to connect and talk more about attracting and retaining Native Digitals, you can reach me at hannahgwilliams.com. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Yeah.